I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. The thing about hip-hop uh, today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, everyone. My name is Manny Faces. For 10 years, I covered hip-hop music and culture in and around New York City as an independent journalist and content creator. Despite the attention the mainstream music business started giving to areas outside of hip-hop's mecca, New York remained a thriving, bubbling, evolving artistic and cultural ecosystem. This includes many people and organizations who use hip-hop in incredibly innovative and inspirational ways outside of just making music and entertaining folks. In areas like education, in schools, in youth outreach and counseling, in theater, in science and technology, in politics and activism, hip-hop is a remarkable force in New York and beyond. The voices of these innovators are as important as ever, especially as corporations continue to strip away hip-hop's wider cultural voice for the sake of profits because these innovators know how to use the nation's dominant youth culture in an authentic manner, in ways that can help solve some of our nation's biggest problems. So we need to celebrate and support them, because I believe that hip-hop can save America. And so this podcast was born. Thanks again for joining me as I talk to the folks who are responsibly using hip-hop music and culture to address, adjust, and in some cases, alleviate problems facing our country. Hip Hop Can Save America is a presentation of the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy at hiphopadvocacy.org, a nonprofit dedicated to increasing public understanding of hip hop culture. We're also brought to you by the award winning Newsbeat Podcast. It's hard hitting journalism, including interviews with thought leaders and activists about the most pressing social justice issues of our time. And it also incorporates hip hop with music and original lyrical contributions every episode. Think of it as Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast, baby. You can find Newsbeat by Maury Creative Studios wherever you get your podcasts or on the web at usnewsbeat.com. Hip Hop Can Save America airs weekly, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Bondfire Open Source Radio. With amazing programming like their flagship morning show, TK in the AM, Bondfire Open Source Radio is leading community radio into the future. Check them out at bondfireradio.com or on the TuneIn app. We're also available on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. So, 
My guess is that if you're listening to this show, you've heard of a little musical called Hamilton. The unlikely mix of hip-hop and live theater caught many mainstreamers off guard with its multicultural, multi-genre approach to the stage. But what not enough people know is that Hamilton isn't a one-off. Hip-hop and live theater have a history that far precedes and expands way past Lin-Manuel Miranda's hit show. In this episode, I speak with one of the innovators who've been rocking hip-hop theater for well over a decade in a very unique way, merging intellectually deep topical dives with beats, rhymes, and performative art. From climate change to evolution, to religion, to how the brain actually works, Baba Brinkman pens and performs incredibly memorable experiences, pairing hip-hop music and culture with the most complex issues of our time, and does so with brilliance, humor, and a universal appeal that stretches from the block to Broadway. Here's my talk with Baba Brinkman. Hey, this is Baba Brinkman. I'm a rap artist and hip-hop theater artist originally from Vancouver, Canada, now based in New York City. Baba, thanks for uh, taking the time to kick it with me today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I want to start real quick, as as many of us do. Uh, I'm sure you wear several hats in your uh, professional and, and performative life. Uh, how, how would you currently des- describe or define who you are from a professional standpoint? Oh, yeah. Ever since I've been self-employed or, you know, on the grind, I've just thought of myself as a rapper. But I'm just trying to see how many different platforms or lanes you can find to disseminate your work as a rapper. So I mostly perform in theaters now. And so I started to cop to hip hop theater artist. Um, but I kind of write theater shows as a vehicle for doing rap that requires more of an intention span and digs deeper into whatever the subject matter is. So I just, you know, really like the lyricism and the art form of hip hop has been my main outlet, you know, since my early 20s. So like the last 15 years or so. Mm. Uh, I'll definitely, I'm always going to cop to rapper, but you know, science yeah. communicators come up recently. And, <laughs> okay. All and right. There's artists. One. Yeah. You know, I don't hear that too often. I like that one. Uh, so a little bit of a background, just so people kind of uh, get a little bit of an idea where this all came together and maybe starting with a, a chicken or the egg kind of question. Uh, what came first? Uh, was it rapping and, and, you know, sort of hip hop or, or was it theatrical stuff or, or was it science? Like what came first? I guess for me, like a passion for rap came first, but as a fan. So I was, you know, 10, 11, I was discovering Run DMC and Eric B and Rakim and the Beastie Boys and Slick Rick and just mind blown, like memorizing the lyrics, rapping them. But, you know, I'm, I'm white. I'm from Canada. I'm from the suburbs. I did not grow up in a urban environment, never mind African-American community. So, yeah, I kind of just like was in love with the art form, but also recognized that it was not mine and not for me. And I could be a sort of appreciator of it, but not a participant. So, you know, that was where I got my hip hop passion, built Mm. up my CD collection, all that. And then it was around sort of 18, 19. And at that time I was studying comparative literature at university. And, you know, I'm like reading the Norton anthology of poetry and all these dead white Englishmen that were the sort of poets that you study and, Right. You know, I just got this idea in my head that that rap was the sort of natural extension of these literary traditions, you know, not just the oral storytelling traditions of Africa, but that a lot of rappers consider themselves the new Shakespeare or the new Edgar Allan Poe. And I was hearing this in a lot of lyrics, you know, it's the abstract, poetic, prominent like Shakespeare. And, you know, that concept of prominence, like using your skill with words to gain reputation and fame and wealth and, you know, recognition like that's almost like more central to the European tradition than the African tradition. You could have a famous griot, but you know, that like words echoing through the ages thing is tied to text. So I, I ended up writing my thesis 
sort of arguing that rappers were the natural continuation of not just oral traditions, but also literary traditions because they write rhymes and record them and want to have a legacy in that kind of way. And, uh, and, and then around the same time, I was like, well, you know, that might be a lane for me in rap as well. So I started doing like literary themed rap and tra- translated the Canterbury Tales into a bunch of raps. And, uh, you know, that sort of segued into doing all kinds of other concept projects, which more recently has turned into doing rap science communication. So my most recent albums have all taken big topics from science and, and sort of tried to flip them into rap songs and stories that that make it accessible but is still sort of core to hip-hop so what was the first show that didn't not the canterbury tales type of thing but something where you came up with something that was uh i don't want to say more original but less of an adaptation of something that exists and something that was kind of constructed from scratch so to speak yeah that would probably be well i i did a a two-man play with a rapper in england called disraeli and he was like the uk slam champion at the time but also did a lot of storytelling and theatrical styles when he was performing so uh, mm-hmm. we we sort of started hanging out and put out a an ep and then we wrote a show called the rebel cell and uh, it was like a dystopian sort of like totalitarian you know v for vendetta kind of situation uh, mm-hmm. where we play advocates and rappers trying to like work out the best way to fight the power or transform the system so yeah you know the way we used to build it would be like it's like a rap battle between nelson mandela and che Guevara. so one of us was sort of like work within the system and respect institutions and try to transform them by participating and the other one was like no we got to tear that structure down and build a new one in a more radical way and so you know it wasn't like a left versus right debate it was more like a left versus further left (laughs) (laughs) which seemed to be like where most of my friends were at across that spectrum i never really grew up around many right-wing people but you know centrist versus leftist and yeah so we toured that all around england and it was like this two-man sort of all different characters that we played and and Hmm. uh, and a whole hip-hop play and then after that it was the rap guide to evolution that was the next sort of like original content and the first science project that i did Right. Uh, real quick background on on that. The, the, I think it was the first one that I saw from you, uh, the Rap Guide to Evolution. What, what's the elevator pitch for that show that when you were starting to put that together? How did you describe that show? Uh, well, the tagline was like beats, rhymes and the science of life. Uh, and, you know, it's about uh, the, the theory of natural selection and how deep it goes. You know, yes, it explains, you know, the origins of life on Earth and dinosaurs and cavemen and historical perspective is the easy one but i was also getting into how it can help us understand hip-hop as a process of competition for brain space and how some rappers die out and other rappers come to prominence some things go viral other things get ignored and you can really see it all as a process of natural selection uh where people are selecting literally via where their attention goes and what they do and don't listen to and uh, and rappers have sort of like honed the art of being attention grabbers and making earworms and extremely memorable content. But that's, you know, that's not a coincidence. That is actually right. like a product of trying to thrive in an environment that's sort of governed by Darwinistic principles. And then also you could think of aspects of human behavior uh, as having sort of um, evolved predispositions that would have helped us survive and reproduce in the past. That did not come across like an elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I geek out on this stuff so easily. I got like my taglines and then I'm like, oh, let me break down all the concepts for you. Well, it's a really high, we were in a high building. We we had several stops. It's the middle of the day, FedEx. So, you know, (laughs) by the time the elevator hit the bottom, you know, but that's what I love about it. And and really what I've always loved about your work. And I think, you know, translates so well. And a lot of other people obviously do too as well, um, since you keep coming back and doing them is that 
parallel, that way to, to show both sides, the science, and, and not just in a hip hop way, not just reciting scientific facts through hip hop, which a lot of stuff does. And, you know, in the education space, it's great as a tool for memorization and retention and absorption of actual factual material. But when, when you do the hip hop guide to evolution, it's not just evolution in hip hop, it's hip hop from an evolutionary lens. I didn't know it was going to be that when I started working on it. You know, it was like, it was a biologist that reached out to me and he had seen the Canterbury tales and he was like, yeah, you're pretty good at like explaining complicated things and raps. If you can do medieval literature, then maybe you could do Darwin and the origin of species. So when I sat Mm -hmm. down to do the project, I was like, okay, now I have to write some raps that explain evolution. And then (laughs) as I read a bunch of books on evolution, I was like, oh damn, evolution kind of explains rap. Uh, that, right. you know, that's a like really nice sort of meta quality that the show ended up having where every moment I'm like, I'm an organism and you are the environment that is selecting whether I thrive or, or go extinct. So how you're reacting in this moment makes predictions about what's going to happen to me in the future. And that's kind of what organisms are going through in nature at every given moment, trying to survive and thrive and pass their genes on. Only right. I'm trying to pass on my ideas or my you know, my lyrics or whatever the, the constructions that we make are, but you know, it's just, right. it's amazing. I didn't know it was going to end up like that, but the, pro- <laughs> you know, the, the sort of depth of how evolution can explain so many different layers of our experience blew my mind and turned me into this like now lifelong sort of Darwin champion, I guess. Yeah, there you go. That's, I think what uh, blew my mind about it as well. It also helps that there was a very uh, well-known and, and uh, perfectly relatable song called survival of the fittest uh, that you could have used. It. It. You know, hip hop, <laughs> Hip hop is so deeply evolutionary already. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, the materialism of rappers are so superficial or, you know, they're all about fame and wealth. I'm, I'm kind of like, man, that I, you see that as superficial. I see that as transparent. You know, I think that's like the case in all media. And yet most artists would rather lie to themselves about their motives or their like dynamics that they work within and rappers are just really good at being honest about it and you know survival of the fittest that applies to lyrics you know that applies to sort of like do or die situations socially although i'm not trying to celebrate those situations either but i think evolution can help us understand why sometimes the culture promotes violence and other times the culture suppresses violence and that's also kind of an evolutionary dynamic you can see it in other species as well Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. So translating these thoughts and putting them together with music leads you to the stage. You've been, you know, you're doing, obviously, as you say, goes back uh, uh, some time now. I'm going to ask sort of the inevitable question because I've been following you for years. And of course, with the uh, success of Hamilton, many people were turned on to the idea, the hybrid of live theater and hip hop and, you know, a whole new kind of way and a whole new different audiences. And here I was, of course, telling people, well, yeah, it's awesome, but it's it's certainly not a one-off. It, there's been plenty of people doing it uh, for many, many years, yourself included, but other organizations and other talented individuals. I guess the success of, of Hamilton and how, how that's raised awareness of this, the possibility this hybrid thing can work um, might be sort of a double-edged sword for you. It may give you more attention, but then now you have to kind of maybe parallel yourself to it or live up to it. Or how does it affect your work, the Hamilton effect, so to speak? Well, it wasn't a new experience. Uh, it was like deja vu for me because it was the exact same effect as when Eminem came out with his first record. Because okay. I, I started rapping in 1998, and at the time, there were no amazingly talented white rappers. You know, the BC Boys were solid, but you'd almost put them in more of like a, I don't know, like almost like 
heavy metal sometimes with some of their releases and right. um, you know they have a pretty distinctive style and it was not about like the trickiest wordplay that they could do right you know right. they weren't the, trying the to punk, sound the like punk rappers, rappers. Right? Punk, they were more in style, the dmc yeah. range of rap than in the rock M range um sure. you know so i was thinking like if people associate rap with vanilla ice if it's by white people then there's a space to be like the first impressive white rapper that was like my uh, naive motive in 1998 and then about a year later i was like ah oh, shit so much for that plan because then you know eminem came out and, and sort of blew everybody away and so before eminem came out i was like yeah I'm, I'm a rapper and they'd be like what you're a rapper and you're white that's weird you know and then after eminem came out then they'd be like oh you're a rapper like eminem so then yeah <laughs> double-edged sword right because right. You, you know it's, it's not as hard for people to conceive of the possibility of your existence and yet you always are going to be compared to the thing that's best known so i mean that's kind of the hamilton effect right there Fair i've been enough. doing hip-hop theater since 2004 and you know since 2004 until like 2014 people would be oh hip-hop and theater that's kind of weird you know does that really work and now it's just like oh like hamilton and like, yeah like <laughs> hamilton except for like way less famous and earning a lot less money but same thing <laughs> right. really exactly <laughs> <laughs> got it it's funny because um, I was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2005 and Lin-Manuel Miranda was also there. Um, and both of us were sort of on the street handing out flyers. He was with a group called uh, Freestyle Love Supreme, uh, which is still a crew that does like freestyle improv stuff. And, right. uh, you know, I thought they were dope then. And, you know, I, I had like I could probably list on one hand the people that were doing anything with hip hop theater. You know, there's like the Q Brothers with the Bombity of Errors. Right, and, right. Um, you know, Will Power had a show that was a sort of like Oedipus remix that had rap in it. And I was doing the rap Canterbury Tales and then Freestyle Love Supreme. And then, of course, In the Heights came out and, and Lynn's sort of like taking it to the next level with full on Broadway productions infused with rap. Um, I still do one man shows, although, you know, Hamilton's inspiring, like possibility opener in terms of how much you can do with the form and how many like, you know, avenues you could take it into. But that dude, like Lynn, he was like raised on Broadway musicals. Me, I'm like more raised on, you know, English literature textbooks. So it's a further leap for uh, for a musical for me. But I'm, I'm, I celebrate that. I mean, he he killed it with that with that piece. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I'm wondering. So then, uh, maybe tr- uh, comparatively, uh, when you were trying to pitch your your ideas, has it you know business wise, has it opened more doors for you? Has it? What were some of the hindrances you had in the beginning when you were pitching this inconceivable combination of of art forms? Uh, and then now, after it's become more acceptable or, or known. I think it may it may be like it helps people to just give it a look in the first place. But mm-hmm. I mean, I do see it as kind of a I mean, the environment is always competitive. So right. before Hamilton, if I was pitching a hip hop theater production, it, you know, they wanted to see it in action. They wanted to hear what it was going to be about. It had to survive or fail on its merits. And now they might be more. Oh, well, with the success of Hamilton, then there's an open space, whatever. But, you know, how many different shows are saying with the success of Hamilton, this is going to make me blow up? You know, right, it's not like right. nobody exists in a vacuum. Like the, the opportunities I see are the opportunities that other people see. Right, right. You know, I have, I have more, more people pursuing it now. Theater. But I mean, my, my shit's kind of niche, you know, like I, I like find a topic and I take a deep dive on it and it's all sort of comedy and storytelling, but it's so far, it's just been me. I haven't, I haven't really like moved into the space of writing for, you know, 12 or 15 person casts or whatever, right. you know, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by the potential of that, but I just haven't seen a lane for it. And also, you know, I don't have a job. I've, I've been doing this for 15 years and I've got to like work out my income on a six month basis. And for me producing or writing a new one-man show is a model that i've that i've like 
perfected. You know, I, t- I can take uh, it to fringe festivals. I can do right. it off Broadway. There's people like, Oh, what's your next show going to be about? Um, so, you know, there's a, if I'm going to like switch and try to write musicals, that's a pretty, that's a pivot. <laughs> I'm, it's a pivot. I'm not, I'm not close to it, but I don't really see how, how to make it possible at this moment. Gotcha. Well, niche and mastery is, I think, what two words that, that do describe it, from my opinion, I, I guess, again, from others, we could talk about all the other people doing these kinds of things. And, you know, for what my opinion is worth, no one quite, quite does it like you. It's, it's such intriguing topics. You present them in such uh, compelling and sometimes unexpected ways. I love to tell people that, uh, you know, a Baba Brinkman show is, is so unique that, you know, literally anybody from any walk of life, whether it be high society or academia, young people who are immersed in urban culture are able to walk away with an amazing experience, you know, from the, you know, the street corner kids all the way up to, you know, PhDs. I know a lot of your work is actually peer reviewed. You actually have scientific theories and examined and and sort of fact checked in some ways you take on discussing those. If someone challenges some of the things you present, that's also brilliant. How much of it is purposeful when you're writing and producing these shows to make sure that it's not only brilliant and unique, but accessible and that somebody, no matter who they are, is going to get something out of it? Or is that just kind of comes out naturally? No, it's really like it usually starts with an interest in a scientific field where I go, this stuff is so important and so interesting and so relevant. And yet people don't really know it, you know? So I'm always looking for something where like there's a scientific consensus that things work a certain way. The researchers are all on board with each other. And if you ask random people on the street, they think it works a totally different way. And so I'm like, okay, that's where I can be a bridge builder. And usually my shows are written around getting some complicated, but also like, fascinating scientific findings to the public in a way that they can like take them home and, and ponder them and, and not feel like, God, oh, you know, I don't get that. That's too complicated. I don't have to worry about that. You know? So whether it's, you know, whether it's climate change, which is not controversial among scientists, but hugely relevant to what, you know, what all of us are going to go through over the next few decades and right. the next century or whether, you know, evolution is sort of like the hidden logic behind all of the, you know, cultural interactions, personal interactions, where we come from, what we are. And then the new one that I'm doing off Broadway right now, Rap Guide to Consciousness, is like how your brain works and how your daily experiences are produced by interactions of neural circuits in your brain. And, you know, that, I mean, just saying that, it's a, <laughs> it just sounds improbable. You know, it's like a mind boggling, like, no, it, it's got to be something more. But this, you know, the show is like, okay, let's take the neuroscience seriously and, and, and think about it like computations between patterns of neurons firing and you know how can you get from that to the experience of listening to a hip-hop song that makes you have a rush and bob your head and you know what is a rapper doing but trying to manipulate the real-time conscious experiences of everybody that's listening to a song or you know create a sense of collective consciousness in a crowd where they're all sort of call and response and like behaving like a single organism like merge merging their mind states and stuff like that so mm-hmm. you know i just I, I'm, I'm a geek for the science i like reading these books i'm like oh this explains so much you know now <laughs> all these things in my my life that i was like what the hell's going on i get it now and then i just get excited by like i want more people to get it so you know i'm yeah that's that's the sort of lane that i found in uh, in hip-hop in the world of entertainment is like hip hop as communication of the best ideas in the world that need to be known about. Yeah, I think and I think it's super important too because again, you're 
grabbing the you can grab the attention of those who are you know, intimately connected to hip hop music and culture. We you know recognize the raps, we recognize the concept you're talking, to, you know, you're talking about and the connection, the parallels you're making. But you're also uh, exposing a less hip hop savvy audience to the power of hip hop music culture, sensibilities, uh, like you said, that ability to communicate that I think they have such a limited, especially some of the audience members that probably attend your shows, have such a limited understanding or, or exposure to hip hop. And like you said earlier on, are, are just kind of wrapped up in the, the, the surface level or look at these deeper things as surface level. Um, so right. I think this is, it's so, super important uh, that you're able to do both of these things at the same time. Well, you know, part of this is like, the motives that form in your adolescence end up driving you for a lot of your life, you know, cause I'm growing up on hip hop, just like obsessed with all the tracks and the music and thinking this is the most powerful art form. And then I'm like trying to tell my parents or my parents, friends, like, you got to check this stuff out. And they're like, no, nah, no, no. We've, you know, right. we've heard that on the radio. It's not good. It's superficial. It's, you know, it's sexist, it's violent and whatever. And you're like, no, but the art, you know, anything you can say about <laughs> right. rap, you can say about Shakespeare. So why are you okay with Shakespeare and not with rap? Uh, yeah, but that's real art. And this is not. So, you know, those sort of frustrations of when I was a teenager, I'm like, I'm going to show you guys that yes. you know, how sophisticated this art form can be. And, you know, that is a big part of my motive now to get like a, you know, retired person that goes to lots of theater and would never give hip hop a chance to come up to me afterwards and be like, well, if that's rap, I guess I better give it another chance. Right. Um, you know, cause it's, I mean, it's all like a love letter to hip hop and hip hop advocacy. And, you know, my favorite thing to do is like split the crowd where I drop some like, obscure reference, like, yeah, he's a hip hop head. You know, he's old school, like Busta Rhymes with dreads. And then, uh, you know, three quarters of the people in the room are like, huh, what does that mean? And then you get the like hip hop heads like, ah, oh, you know, right, right, right. Sparkle of recognition of what specifically like time signature I just put on that reference or whatever, because then, you know, all the people who don't know rap will go, huh? You know what I just missed? Like when people laugh next to you and you don't know why you're, mm. you feel like, oh man, I'm like missing out on something important here. And you know, that, that like sparks the curiosity. So, I, you know, plus I just do that for my own amusement too. Cause I see hip hop <laughs> as a form of literacy, like hip hop heads, no tons, right? They've got like these, the cultural references, the lyrics, the songs, like there's tons of information in the brain of a hip hop head that yeah. the sort of mainstream culture dismisses as like mere trivia or entertainment, whatever. But, you know, it's like a library that you can, you can activate it. And, and, you know, that it's great for entertainment because you drop a reference, you know, it's sort of like, the 10 dual commandments in Hamilton, you know, most of the people that go to Hamilton don't have the Biggie song in their head while they're right. uh, going through the 10 dual commandments. But the people that do are getting like all these extra layers of depth from the scene. Right. That's right. No, it's brilliant. I, as a son of a sociology professor who was a very uh, deep jazz and blues uh, fan, you know, I had those similar arguments. <laughs> for years and i was always i'll show you i'll sh i'll demonstrate i would give him like jazzmatazz albums and be like check this out you know all these things that he might be able to better appreciate you know without having that knowledge up front so i, I know well how those uh those arguments go um you now can, I mean, you can get people to give it a second look but in my, in my experience uh, like 
you gotta you gotta like trigger emotions to get thoughts to follow them you know it's really hard to like mm. convince somebody with logic or with arguments like look at how complex this rap is i'm gonna play you this song and you know people like it's the framing effect right they have like this right. sort of preconditioned response that they need to like think a certain way about it to confirm all the previous ways they thought about it uh, chris rock has this routine in one of his stand-up sets where he's like whatever music you started listening to when you were first getting laid and I think that's pretty much it. You know, you see the demographic thing is basically like every people over like mid 50s don't really like maybe they appreciate rap from an intellectual perspective as being right. like a valuable cultural art form, but they don't love it. You right. know, you have to have been like in a hormonal state when you first started hearing it to imprint like a duckling right. following <laughs> like purported parent or whatever. Right, right. Well, nostalgia is a hell of a drug, as I say sometimes. Yeah, we'll we'll wrap up soon. A couple more uh, quick questions. Matter of fact, it segues nicely, I think, because I think authenticity is always important when hip hop is being used in non-traditional areas. We'll say non-traditional, for lack of a better term. I think you touch upon this uh, in the consciousness show. You know, we, we recognize the real. Yeah, real, recognized, real. That's one of the tracks. You know, that's that's a hip hop ethic, but you could think of that also as like a summary of how the scientific method works with peer review. Like, how can you trust a neuroscientist view while he's got to like run his work by other neuroscientists? That's real, recognized, real. Right, right, indeed. And and so in the same way, we, we, um, I don't speak for the community at large, but you know, your involvement is certainly rooted in that authentic love and and respect and participation in the culture. It's clear. I think we others among that group recognize that real but i would imagine and this takes it back to the hamilton idea that since then i'm sure there have been entrants into the arena of hip-hop based you know theater i'm doing air quotes who from someone like yourself might seem less connected to the culture and more seeking to capitalize on it now i'm not asking you to call anybody out in particular or but i'm curious have you seen that sort of thing you know as you've seen other entrants into the field perhaps in the last few years because of the success of, of hamilton i guess more diplomatically uh, should folks who wish to start these kinds of programs or shows or maybe fund them or support them, is there any obligation to ensure that they're engaging or supporting culturally sensitive uh, works? Yeah, that's a tricky question, man. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I won't say where it was at, but there was a college where the theater department was doing a hip hop production um, that was a sort of like literary adaptation. And they brought me in to do like a rap workshop with the theater students and, you know, these kids were not hip hop. Like some of them, some of them like listened to rap, but none of them knew how to rap. And their project for this theater production was to like write a whole script in rhyme. And, you know, you like I never actually got to see the final product. I just got some like previews of stuff that they had written. But, you know, I don't think that we should be denying the art form to people that have a shallower engagement with it. Right. I do think that we should... Um, you know, have high standards of what qualifies as good lyricism and good and good rap. I mean, it's very easy to uh, bastardize or parody rap and throw off some like mimicry of of some style that you heard or whatever. But uh, I don't know. But it's a subtle thing, you know. I like I I got into the culture so sort of hesitantly and spent so many years like okay, out of respect, I'm a fan but not an artist. And then like met a bunch of artists that were from diverse backgrounds. Let's say because in Canada, the whole like black versus white thing seems a little weird because like the first rappers I saw were like Filipino and native Canadians and Asians and 
Pakistanis. This is very, it's, it's much more like a multicultural kind of scene. So right, right. You know, it wasn't, it's like, okay, which, like which shade of white to brown are you really going to draw <laughs> the line at? It just didn't make sense. Uh, right. So the hip hop culture there became like, okay, yeah, like black people invented this in the Bronx. You know, what's right. true of Western Canada is true of everywhere in the world that has adopted rap. And as I've traveled, I've met rappers in Prague, rappers in Palestine, rappers in, you know, Australia and wherever you go, they've got some local spin on the culture. So where do you draw the line between cultural participation and cultural appropriation? Uh, I think, you, you know, you hit it. It's about shallow versus deep engagement, like knowing where it came from. Uh, you know, paying respect to the people that developed the art form and the techniques involved. And, you know, actually a big part of it for, for me was learning how to freestyle. You know, when mm-hmm. I when I first started writing, I was like, I would write a lyric and I would like meet someone else. They'd be like, oh, they'd say, I'm an MC. I said, I'm an MC too. And they'd be like, all right, if you're an MC, let's cipher. Let's hear you freestyle. And for the first year or two, I was like, no, no, I don't freestyle. I just write raps. You want to hear some? And they'd be like, go <laughs> learn how to freestyle. Get out of here. <laughs> so yeah, after a point, I was like, okay, so the sort of internal norms of the culture say that if you try to participate without having to put the hard work into learning to improvise and rock a crowd for real, then your engagement is shallow. And I think cultures get to do that. That's legitimate. You know, you could say I'm an artist that's working with elements of rap technique. All right, sure. But, you know, I still think the like authenticity of being an MC uh, and being able to like jump on the mic and freestyle and rock a crowd and, and battle and, and just like really think on your feet. And, you know, that, I mean, that shit doesn't come easy, right? You got to put yeah. a lot of work in. And I think the rigors of becoming a really like effective MC will go head to head with the rigors of being a professionally trained Juilliard ballerina or shallow player. You know, if you actually like break down the number of hours and the number of like hoops and challenges that you have to jump through in terms of getting humiliated, booed off stage, coming back again, you know, like hip hop is not an easy art form to get into and be good at like compared to any other. So I think that's where the authenticity comes from. And also like authenticity to who you are is a big one as well. Like real recognize real. That's the tricky one, right? Like keep it real, keep it real to what? So, you know, (laughs) right. Like if you're from this, if you're from like a more, uh, let's say disadvantaged, like kind of street background and, and you're doing rap like crime raps, then I think it's legit to say anybody that wants to do crime raps as if that's really their background, but they're faking it is inauthentic. Uh, and, and, you know, what, where I grew up in Vancouver, a lot of rappers were doing that white middle-class rappers were trying to like front their whole personality, you know, or maybe like act that way. So they would be allowed to rap that way or something. You know what I mean? Mm. It was like this weird thing. So for me, I was just like, okay, you know, this is not me. I'm not going to try to make it me, but maybe there's a lane for the like super bookish, like jokey storytelling rapper that's getting the ideas out there in an entertaining way. But I'm, I've always just like try to tell my story and not fake it. And, yeah. you know, I think that that's a, you know, if somebody's trying to get into it and they're fresh, like I think authenticity is a big one in terms of who you are and telling your story. Although when you say that, how are you supposed to do like an adaptation of, uh, you know, I don't know, war and peace or pride and prejudice or whatever. Like I'd like to, I'd like to think that every, work of literature could have a rap adaptation uh, Mm. and that would be a great thing for the world do all those rap adaptations have to be written by people that have spent 20 years being like learning to be like effective mcs and freestyle i don't know you know it's really Mm. there's no like easy answers to where to put the boundaries but i think the tests that mcs and hip-hop heads put on each other for actual participation in the culture 
that's a real thing that you can track. And so people can say like, I, I participate in hip hop culture or I admire and occasionally incorporate elements of hip hop culture in my work if they're an artist or whatever. You know, I, I don't think you can really fault people for that because I think artists, you know, Nicki Minaj doing Chun-Li, you know, is that cultural appropriation? Whatever. She's an artist, you know, she's, I don't think she's being disrespectful to where, you know, where that character came from or the history or whatever. She's saying, Mm -hmm. this inspires me and I want to work with these modes and these tropes. And, you know, I I don't know. I I just, you just got to assess it on a case by case basis, but there's no, I mean, there's no silver bullet to answering these questions, are there? No, but I think that uh, just having those discussions or just having that thought process is the key. I think if you go into these things, recognizing that authenticity is a thing, cultural sensitivity is a thing, we should be thinking about it. We should be talking about it. There's no answer. It's hard to draw the line. But I think that people coming in, knowing that and recognizing that and making sure that the work they do you know, bears that in mind, I think yeah. is, is, a, is a big step. You know, yeah, and, uh, and just like agreeing with everything you just said just means by definition, the fact of me being a white guy from Canada that uses hip hop in his work and, and represents himself as an MC means some people are going to accuse me of cultural appropriation and insensitivity. Right. That right. is like straight up inevitable. And the question is, is their response typical of the whole culture or are mm-hmm. other people going to say, no, he's doing something that's a real contribution to hip hop and we should celebrate it. And, right. you know, that's, that's not something that I can necessarily dictate the outcome of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just have to like add up the sum total of the responses I get, which on average are very positive and say like the people that hate on what I'm doing because they think it's culturally insensitive, you know, they just, I got to tell myself, like, they just don't know. They just don't know what the, like, what the general response is. Or maybe if I'm doing something wrong, maybe I need to check myself and, like, figure, figure a different way to present it. But it's, right. it's a constant navigation of the, of the, uh, of the obstacle course, let's say, of, of the cultural interactions between, you know, where hip hop came from and the greater culture and, you know, where I come from. And, yeah. uh, you know, if, if I let that get me down, I would have a different job. But I actually right. find that super interesting and, you know, just it's a rich vein to mine for material. Actually, it, yeah. every one of my shows, I'm doing stuff about where I come from and how sort of unexpected it is that I do hip hop. And here's why it's going to work. So, you know, let, let the proof be in the pudding. See how you feel kind of thing yeah. and you know, i do it in new york so i definitely get you know i get tested by the real culture every day <laughs> that's true indeed that's true indeed i think the lane i think your lane is safe it is actually really interesting it, it's you know when you talk about the contents of your shows and the way you come out of your shows just from a personal level this is just me speaking but you know you come out of the the, the consciousness show and, and you, you're thinking about how you think differently uh you know there might be even some real fascinating looks at why people seek validation or don't, mm-hmm. or why people feel like they have to uh, impose their uh, sort of their levels of uh, acceptance onto other people. Just as we're talking, about. it's just an interesting, you know, fascinating kind of sub subtopic, I guess. You know, and who and who gets to draw the lines, right? Yeah, yeah mean, it's it's, it's going to be a collaborative process, but there's going to be severe disagreements as well. But you know, this is not unique to hip hop. No, this course. is like a, a conversation that happens in film, and it's a conversation that happens in academia. What qualifies as real science or yeah. pseudoscience, and you know, the like the difference between the authentic and the and the the like merely posing or whatever the fake is like <laughs> right. a universal 
conversation across human cultures. And uh, it's interesting to look at how hip hop plays that out and what kinds of criteria work at different levels across different cultures as well. There's a, you know, there's a whole show in that. Maybe that's my next one right there. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Again, proof that, you know, you can find a hip hop connection to any, <laughs> to anything. Uh, so the name of this podcast, even though you're from up North is hip hop can save America. <laughs> and uh too bad uh, for canada huh? Uh, that's it you know well, canada you know needs probably different types of saving but uh you know that shit is crazy here it may be a lofty theory and of course it, you know, america needs more than just hip-hop but th- the idea is that there are reasons to consider hip-hop music and culture when looking for ways to truly improve lives livelihoods and, and communities in this country hip-hop education the hip-hop theater that you're doing you know when you're talking about a communication of complex ideas and, and reaching people that might not normally have access to those ideas uh, that's kind of a, a big factor uh, in in what i think is important and that i think hip-hop can do so well so just to kind of sum it up the question of the day is you know why is it important that people do consider hip-hop music and culture and sensibilities when we're looking for ways to improve our society well, I would say the thing that cultivates empathy in people and makes them see the world from other people's perspectives and, you know, be less arrogant or self-contained is hearing their stories and seeing the world from their perspective. And I think like rap did that for me for a very young age, just like listening to the songs of these people who came from a completely different place than me and being like, I feel you. I like see where you're coming from, even though I never would have thought I would have been able to. And just the sort of like, the, the, the sort of sympathy and connection that that creates. I think that's what all rappers are doing by telling their stories lyrically. And I think the inclusivity of the culture where the main ethic is not, you have to be from this background to do it. Um, or you have to like look this way to do it. No, you have to like respect the art form where it came from and respect the skill, respect the technique, um, you know, and, and move the crowd. And yeah, I, I just, I, I've been, I've been doing workshops with young kids for a long time and, I tell them like any of you can be rappers, but you don't get to like tell someone else's story as a rapper or like put on a fake facade. Um, You know, that's not going to necessarily work. You got to tell your own story and rap is the art form that can help you tell your story, whatever it is. And that's going to just, you know, it'll, it'll have the effect, you know, that literature had when you're like reading a book published in another country and you're like, Oh, that's how people are feeling there. Like Mm. even just like will and grace with gay rights, you know, okay. Like relatability, you know, I think hip hop is doing that and it's, and it's more powerful in a way than lots of these other art forms because it's more accessible because all you need is a pen and a pad and like banging a beat out on a table with your hands uh, or just throw on an instrumental and, and just tell people how, you know, it's entertaining, grabs their attention, you know, has the, has the techniques to make it actually like striking to listen to. I think raps like develop the way to tell a story better than any art form in the sense of anyone can pick it up, just dive right in and, and throw your passions on the table. And that's, you know, that's what makes, that's going to, that's going to save America. It's going to save the world just as the generations come up, you know, the people that don't relate to rap while well, they're aging out. <laughs> yeah, it's the, uh, it's the first art form that's like carried over multiple generations. Right? It was like the coolest music when I was 10 years old and it's yeah. the coolest music for today's 10 year olds. Yeah, and yeah. that tells you that it's not just some hula hoop fad. Right. 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 Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, listen, that's a great a- uh, angle. And uh, I thank you for your insight, your perspective, your time. And I really thank you for your work, man. I really enjoy everything that you come up with. So, you know, all the best moving forward. Please keep me informed. I'll definitely spread the love every time the best way I can. And uh, thanks for talking with me here. 
Oh man, it's been my pleasure. And and let me just uh, throw in a plug. My uh, absolutely my rap guide to consciousness show is right now running off Broadway. I do it four nights a week, and uh, it's been on since uh, the first of March. But we got extended, so we're going to have a whole bunch of shows through July and early August as well. So it's uh, it's at SohoPlayhouse.com. It's on Van Dam Street downtown. Come see it. You will have your mind blown. Neuroscience, comedy, and hip hop. Hundred percent. I co-sign that very much. Thank you, sir. And I'll see you again very soon, no doubt. All right. Thanks, Manny. Hip Hop Can Save America is a presentation of the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy at hiphopadvocacy.org, a nonprofit dedicated to increasing public understanding of hip hop culture. We're also brought to you by the Newsbeat Podcast, hard hitting journalism, including interviews with thought leaders and activists about the most pressing social justice issues of our time. It also incorporates hip hop with music and original lyrical contributions every episode. Think of it as Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. Find Newsbeat by More Creative Studios wherever you get your podcasts or on the web at usnewsbeat.com. Hip Hop Can Save America with Manny Faces airs weekly Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Bonfire Open Source Radio. With amazing programming like their flagship morning show TK in the AM, Bonfire Open Source Radio is leading community radio into the future. Check them out at bonfireradio.com or on the TuneIn app. Hip Hop Can Save America is created and hosted by me, Manny Faces. I also produce the theme music. Special thanks to our associate producer, Summer McCoy. You can find out more about me at mannyfaces.com. And find out more about Summer's hip-hop and tech-related initiative, Hip Hop Hacks, at hiphophacks.com. Thank you for listening. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.